Hey, this is Brent Jensen. You're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. This show is brought to you by Pariah Pickups, handcrafting the very best guitar pickups all the way down in Detroit, Rock City. Check them out at pariahpickups.com. And to support the No Sleep Till Sudbury show on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash Music. Folks, this week, Coney Hatch singer Andy Curran calls in to talk about his exciting new musical project called Envy of None. The band also features Rush guitarist Alex Lifeson, and the new record drops April 8. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Andy Curran. Andy Curran, how are you, buddy? Uh, Brent, I am I am doing well. Thank you for asking. Um, I think I'm through the crazy blizzard snow action that we uh-huh. got here in southern Ontario. It kind of reminded me of when I was a kid, you know, when the snow was <laughs> up to my up to my knees. I mean, we shouldn't complain because we're, we're Canadian, but man, you know, anybody that kind of lives out sort of that Oakville, Burlington, Hamilton, Niagara Falls, we got hammered and um, we're slowly thawing out. Like I, and I'll share a quick story with you. Like sure. I'm still, still playing as much ice hockey as I can, but um I've got sort of like this storage shed right beside my house where my all my hockey equipment is, mm-hmm. and the door was frozen solid. I, it, it, <laughs> I had I had to pick out my hockey gear like with a nice pick just to get it out. But, <laughs> um, but I think I'm think I'm through the the worst of it. So, but no, all good. I, I can't complain. The family's healthy and happy. I think we might be a unicorn family that that don't want to jinx us, but we none of us have have been affected by COVID. So good. you know I. Count, count, counting my blessings today. Good. Good for you. That's good to hear. That's a very Canadian story. <laughs> Your hockey gear. Yeah. Yeah. And and when they closed down all the rinks, I was like, oh, where's an outdoor rink that I can play? <laughs> so so I, I found a, um, some buddies of mine found a, a, an outdoor rink um, in Etobicoke at Martin Grove in Rexdale. So yeah. I, I did some outdoor skating there and did a little bit of pond hockey around the corner playing with, you know, 10 and 15 year old kids that were dangling and they're like, who's this old guy coming up, right? With his, all his <laughs> hockey gear. But I need, I needed my hockey fix when they, when they closed everything down, Brent. That's great. Shinny hockey. Yeah. Those are the days. Oh, nice to do the same thing. Yeah. Stick and, they like to call it stick and puck oh. where I live. Yeah. Huh. Did you, are you familiar with the term shinny? Of course you are. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Those were the days. Yeah, man. most mo- most of my hockey is shinny. I don't play in any leagues. It's kind of like beer league. With a, I, I try to get out three times a week, and it's with a, a bunch of good friends. Some of them are musicians. Some of them, you know, razz me about being uh, an old school rocker and ask me to <laughs> regale them with road stories from Coney Hatch and stuff like that. But uh, no, I, I'm I'm a full shinny hockey guy. I'm not an organized league hockey guy. I don't. I, I think the adult safe hockey. Mm-hmm. is uh, very it, it's anything but safe oh so, i've heard and I, and i'm i'm 150 pounds wet out of the shower brent so i i can't <laughs> afford to get i get snapped in half you know <laughs> uh, <laughs> well i'm glad you're still doing it that's great yeah no it keeps you know it, it, that my my uh dearly departed dad who he played a lot of golf and tennis you know and he used to he used to encourage me to just say you know, Andy, you need that time away from all the, the rat race just to, you know, if you chase around a puck for an hour, all all your troubles are gone. You're just focused on chasing that stupid little puck around or that golf ball or that tennis. So I find it I, th- I find it really 
therapeutic. It's kind of my one of my few vices that I have left. And as I get older, my wife is like, do you really need to play hockey three times a week? And I'm like, hell yeah, if I could do it four, I would, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, yeah. I get that. I remember you telling me last time that you used to play tennis with uh, Steve Harris, which I thought I was did. great. Yeah. But that's, yeah. it's just a nice escape from what, you know, the rigors of the road. It, it absolutely is. And, and speaking of Steve Harris, I talked to him, you know, just after the new year and he, we were talking about Iron Maiden coming to Toronto mm-hmm. and he said, Hey, did you think Getty and Alex will be around? Because we had a doubles match with, um, Steve and myself versus Getty and Alex. And I said, I'll certainly put, I'll certainly put out the invitation, but, um, like I find, if, you know, Brent, in, 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 you've talked to a lot of musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, sh- sure, we love talking about our projects and music and our influences and all that kind of stuff. But if you find a passion, play with some of these artists, like Alex Lifeson is a huge golfer. Mm-hmm. Getty Lee, he loves baseball. Steve Harris loves soccer. I just happen to be a hockey fanatic, right? And very easy to distract us and send us down the other the other roads of, of our passion. Right. So, you know, sports and and especially hockey, you know, if I growing up as a Canadian kid, if I had my way, if you said to me, Andy, did you always dream of being a musician? It would be, no, I wanted to be in the NHL and Mm. probably a, a million other Canadian kids felt the same way. But the bigger kids got and the skinnier I got, I realized that there was not a career for me at the (laughs) NHL. (laughs) Yeah. Funny funny story about Alex, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine sold his house recently. And, uh, you know, there were pictures on the internet and stuff like that. It it was listed under his wife's name, obviously, because he wanted to keep it private. But he said, I think this is Alex Lyson's house. And I was looking through and I said, yes, it is. Because he had, it was obviously a beautiful place. You've probably been there. But there was a room in the back. It was a a wine tasting area. And he had a little trophy that if you look closely, you could see that he had his name on it. And it was a hole in one plaque. Oh, nice. Yeah, from the course. And it, it just happened, I think, two years ago. Well, I do know because, um, you know, obviously I'm in touch with Alex so, so much these days for a variety of reasons, but you know, envy of none being one of them. But he did tell me that he did sell his home recently. And yeah. um, I think if it's the same place that we're talking about, yeah, he had a beautiful wine tasting room. He had a full on man cave with mm-hmm. the studio and all his guitars and everything. Right. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like, sounds like it's the same place, Brent. Yeah. It was funny at that little plaque. I think it was like the seventh hole or something like that. And it showed what the yardage was and what club he used. So he, he had it up on the wall. Well, I know I know one of the topics that you want to talk about today is envy of none mm-hmm. and, and our own and our only sort of impediment or, or obstacle as we were finishing the records was working around Alex Lifeson's golf schedule. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. You know, Al, Al, when can you put some guitars on? Well, I've got, uh, like, honestly, I'm not even kidding. He was playing four times a week. Like, he is oh, a golf wow. junkie, right? Yeah. So when, <laughs> when, we, when we were getting to the end of the, the record and we had some deadlines and there was literally, you know, if you guys want this record out this year, this is when you guys have, the, the label was telling us you have to deliver it by such and such a date. And the process that we had was a lot of times, you know, I, I was, I guess initiating the ideas and starting them off from from 
ground zero and working on them with Maya Wynn, who's the vocalist and, mm-hmm. and sending them over to Alf Annabellini, who's a, a really good buddy of mine. And he's an amazing mixer, recording engineer, uh, programmer, plays keyboards and um, guitar. But a lot of times Alex was reluctant to put his guitar parts on until he heard Maya's vocals. So we would be working back and forth and then she would drop a vocal track on as a guide for Alex and I would constantly be texting him going, okay, buddy, you know, Maya sent her vocal over. When do you think you might be able to get the guitars so that we can mix this? And then, then the golf schedule came in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm playing Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. I might be able to get to it by Saturday. So we're all just like waiting Debated breath, but no, I'm 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 kind of exaggerating, Brent. But for the most part, you know, Alex was was it, it became one of these interesting things where when the Envy of None project started, um, mm-hmm. you know, he was let's just say sort of passively very interested in it, and it was very casual, and we were laying guitar parts down and sending sharing files and stuff. And the further along that we got with the project, the more vocal that he came. He, to me saying, this stuff is, is turning out so good, Andy. We have to do something with it. What are we going to do? Cause we never even had a plan. Like, are we going to shop a deal or, oh. or what are we going to, what are we going to do with this? You know, and we were sort of writing. I, I know it sounds odd in this day and age, but we were writing for the sheer joy of, of just collaborating and having fun. And then, and, and it wasn't until we were about six songs in, Alex was like, what are we doing with this stuff anyway? Are we shopping it? Right. Mm-hmm. So, what we did was when we were when we had about six songs completed, he said to me, "You know, a lot of this stuff sounds like it would be it could be really good for film and television in it." And he kept using the words like very soundtracky, very cinematic. And he mm-hmm. said, "Andy, don't you have some friends that are, you know, f- film supervisors and they do sync and licensing for television and commercials and TV and film?" And I said, "Yeah, I, I do. I've got quite a few contacts." He said, "Why don't you send them?" send a couple songs out and see what they think. And Brent, uh, I'm not even lying. Like I sent, uh, I sent maybe four or five songs out to some film supervisors that I know in Canada. And within 20, 24 hours, I got some really good response, including one from a a girl out in Vancouver named Natasha Dabrinsky. And she said, "Um, Andy, I love the song liar. And I'm working on a Netflix series right now called pretty little things. And I think I think it would be perfect for them for one of the episodes. It's like not a ton of money, but it's some good bragging rights for you. Or you guys own the masters still and all the publishing. And at that time, we had hadn't inked a record deal yet. So um, I called all the other members and said, "What do you guys think about doing this?" And and everybody was up for it. But I think it gave us the confidence that maybe all of us weren't drinking the Kool Aid and. Yeah. and patting each other on the back going, boy, isn't this great? Like somebody outside the camp said it gave us some validation that they really liked the material. So we kind of use that as, as a motivation to finish off the rest of the record. And that's what we did. So, you know, that little sort of connection with Liar early on in this, which ended up being our first single that we released, yeah. ended up just being a nice shot in the arm and giving us a little bit of confidence, maybe that we were on the right track. Oh, it, it's fantastic. I've heard the song. It's very, it's got a very sinister, ominous aspect 
to it. You know, Alex is right. It, it is very cinematic. The the vocals are very ethereal and haunting. It's it's not you know it's not Coney Hatch. That's for sure. It's it's yeah. But it's it's and and that's cool. I mean, it's industrial sounding. It's got like a nine inch nails flavor almost. Uh, yeah, I agree. And and it certainly isn't Coney Hatch or Rush. And I think one of the things that's been liberating about about this process. I know certainly Alex has been vocal about it, and and I feel the same way. Um, just doing something in a different lane. And a lot of people, I know a lot of music fans, including myself, when you fall in love with a band or an artist, you know, and then their new album comes out and you're like, this is nothing like what the other one was. And you, and you either stay with the ride or you're like, well, I don't like the new direction. But for Alex and I to carve a new groove and just explore some different, you know, like it's a lot of it is very ambient. Like you said, there's electronic and, and industrial vibes to it. And Alex spent a lot of time crafting the guitar tones to try to make them sound like they weren't guitars, believe it or not, you know, mm-hmm. like putting process processing on them and flipping them backwards and, and just making like, if I was to solo some of the tracks for you and you and I were in the studio together, you'd be like, wow, man, that sounds like keyboards. And, oh. and I would, a, a lot of times I would call Alex and go, did you even lay guitars down on this? And he's like, yep. And that, you know, that syncopated rhythmic part is me putting my guitar through multi layers of processing, but he went out of his way, believe it or not, to make his guitar tracks sound not like guitar. Oh, wow. And he told and he told me he had a lot of fun doing that. But, um, you know, or just to give you a bit of background on Liar, originally, um, I wrote that song quite some time ago. And uh, I had been in touch with um, Dave Ogilvie from Skinny Puppy. And Dave had a band called Jackalope at the time. And he had called me up and said that he was looking for some new material for one of their records. And so I started messing around with Liar, um, you know, with the fuzz bass and, and kind of like that Nine Inch Nails uh, groove that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And I, ca- I called Dave up and I and I said, I'm going to send this to you. I think it, it might be perfect for Jackalope. And he said, well, thanks for thanks for that, Andy. But unfortunately, the band just broke up and I, you know, I don't know what's going on. So I just held on to, on to the, the idea, Brent. And then when the time came, to start working on new material that was one of the the ideas that I resurrected it's an older one but when as you as you probably know when you start getting different personalities involved in it and and go to a hall of fame rock and roll guitar player and say could you add some guitars on and then it becomes a different beast and with Maya I just you know for the whole project wherever she was sort of short on lyric ideas or vocal ideas. I would sort of seed a little idea and then let her um, run with it. And that's exactly what she did with, uh, with Liar. And, and I had a few little vocal lines and the chorus written, but ironically, she ended up getting called into jury duty um, in, Port- in Portland, Oregon, and told me that she um, ended up getting asked to leave the jury for some reason because, you know, you know how they whittled the jury down. But she said she looked at this woman who had a laundry list of charges mm-hmm. and she knew that she was lying and had a very cold, sinister uh, look in her, like, you know, a, a non-emotion vibe in her eyes. And Maya ended up writing the lyrics inspired by her sitting wow. on the jury. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. What a great story. I love that. I know, right? Yeah. But also, isn't it so cool that you and Alex were on the same page? I mean, you know, I, I made the, the comment before about this not being Coney Hatch and, and certainly not Rush, but it's so cool that you guys had the same kind of vibe in mind. You came to him with it and he said, yeah, this is cool. I, I think that's really great. 
I do too, Brent, you know, and, and over the years with like my, my relationship with the boys at Rush goes right back to 1982 when Coney Hatch was signed to Anthem Records. And I would run into those guys at, at various events or if they were playing in town. And I've, I've always been a Rush fan. I mean, I went to all the world's a stage at Massey Hall wow. back, you know, when they, when they recorded that I'm dating myself, but I, I'm a, I'm a huge Rush fan. So, and, and, you know, it was quite surreal being a, a, their label mates, but, the, but then getting to know the guys and being, uh, um, forging a friendship with Getty, Alex and Neil, but always with Alex, we shared a common interest and love in electronic music and ambient music and mm-hmm. soundtracks, music for film and television. So for, probably about five or six years we had been talking about collaborating together just to write um, music for film and television mm-hmm. and we we've actually done a few things like mo- recently there was a, a series about the toronto maple leafs called 24 7 that was out yeah. on amazon and we we ended up writing some music for that series together that like the word is quietly getting out there that that you know the two of us are are interested in writing music for film and television so it's been an itch that we wanted to scratch for some quite some time but but I think really what happened was when Alex found out that I was working with Maya and I told him about it and he said, boy, I'd really love to hear her her voice and what you guys are up to. And he said to me, Andy, you've got something special here. This this Maya is amazing. Mm-hmm. So we ended up we ended up really um, bonding over that and and wanting to work with Maya. So she became the catalyst and a bit of the glue for the whole project that that we had this mutual respect for this, at the time, 21-year-old woman who was singing these amazing melodies with all these crazy, you know, layers of harmonies and everything. So um, that that's really what cemented this project, the end of none, are just how, um, you know, how impressed we were with Maya and her chops. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Very, very cool. She does. She's got a great voice. Yeah, and I think I think you know the more tracks that come out, like like Liar is certainly I would say one of the more immediate tracks on the record. But Brent, there's a lot of stuff that's really trippy and vibey. Um, the next track that that is going to be um, the next sort of I guess sort of single that will go out is is a song called Look Inside, and it's a very trippy. The label says it, it they they call it a stoner lullaby. It's a very very slow kind of dreamy stoner vibe with distorted bass and, and dreamy vocals on it. So I think the deeper we get into the album, I think I'm hoping that people realize that there's, it's quite a broad stretch in terms stylistically. Yeah. Um, yeah and, and her vocal is the common thread running through all of it. That's cool. I'm looking forward to hearing this record. I'm, I'm sort of sitting in the sidelines going, I can't wait to hear what people think of the next one and the next one, you know, but the, the, the master plan is to sort of have the next single come out, I guess, maybe, uh, you know, last week of February, um, first week of, of March, and then the full record comes out in April. So mm-hmm. not, not too much longer to wait, Brent. It's going to be out there. Yeah. And you guys are doing some cool stuff with vinyl too. It's uh, you've got like a, a, an all white vinyl version, a, a baby blue version. Yes, we do. Yeah. And, and the label, this, when we, after that, that chapter with, um, one of our songs getting on, on that Netflix series, we sort of took the approach that maybe as opposed to shopping a traditional record deal, we would find 
a small boutique label that might get what we're doing and, and might understand it. And mm-hmm. so this, the, the, the label Snapper K-Scope, they're, they're well known for porcupine tree. They do a lot of sort of proggy alternative stuff. And, and, and they were very well known for their box sets that they do. They do a lot of really elaborate box sets with different artists and a different color vinyl. And, and so they were right out of the gate. They said, We'd like to do multiple colors of the vinyl. We'd like to do a deluxe edition. Do you guys have any additional material so we can add some bonus material? So there's going to be um, two or three different vinyl configurations of it. And it's going to come out on old school compact disc for anybody that remembers those. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but but yeah, I think there's a white and a baby blue and uh, I, I think there's one or, one or two other colors that are going to come out. So oh, cool. and, some of them will be exclusive to certain territories. Like I'm hearing the baby blue vinyl will only be for Canada and Germany and things like that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's going to be fun. That's cool. Very cool. Yeah. I was, I was having a look at the the press kit that I got and, uh, I also noticed something very funny, actually your picture. I noticed that you're rocking a cream boy howdy t-shirt in the pic. Yeah. You cool. know, I, well, that's cool that you noticed it. And I'm a, I'm a bit of a, uh, you know, a, a swag hound. I, I love different band t-shirts. Like I'm not afraid to wear a Boston t-shirt or a Tom Petty t-shirt or a, a UFO or a Scorpions or any of my bands. But, you know, I was trolling the internet one day and I saw some um, cream magazine t-shirts and I was like, Oh my God, I remember that magazine. Oh, yeah. Like I, I kind of had a, a love hate relationship with that magazine because there was that, that, you know, that journalist Lester Banks, I think mm. was his name. And, mm-hmm. and he just came off like a complete prick. Like he would, he would trash a lot of my favorite bands or trash records that I loved, but there was something very rebellious about that, that magazine that I loved. And I loved the stars cars. You know, I remember seeing photos of the guys in Aerosmith with their, their Corvettes and their Mercedes Benz and everything, but they kind of didn't give a crap about anybody or what they thought it was like the anti rolling stone magazine and there's a documentary on cream magazine i don't know if you've had a chance to see it but Mm -hmm. um uh it was it's really well done and it was just kind of like this little ma and pa magazine that that kind of grew and and started to create this cult following but um always wanted a boy howdy shirt and finally bought one last year (laughs) oh it's cool i I gotta get myself one i i follow them on instagram and they've always got the swag on there and i just never get around to it but i've actually got to you've you've pushed me on i'm I'm, I'm gonna do it yeah i think you got it man you got it it's a it's a good it's a cool logo right and those in those in the know who know cream magazine and know how um it was certainly a very cynical uh, vibe with the, with that magazine, but mm-hmm. a man like I'm going to go back to you know our first interview to tell you that at the root of everything I do, I'm, I'm a music fan. I always have been. I have a huge record collection. When I was a teenager, I, I had Circus Magazine, Cream Magazine, Hit Parader. I, I cut the photos out of all the bands that I loved and put them up on my wall. And you know that's the root of, of where I come from. So, uh, hell man, if I can get a, if I can get a cream magazine a t-shirt in a heartbeat, I'm looking for a circus magazine t-shirt now. <laughs> that would be cool. I haven't seen <laughs> right? one of those. You know what I'd like? Did you like Kerrang! magazine? Do you remember that one? Yes, I did. And you know, Kerrang! were always very kind to Coney Hatch. Like we yeah. got a ton, we got a ton of love in Kerrang! magazine. You and I may have talked about that before. We talked about Paul Suter, who was the, he was the Canadian guy, I think. Like he loved Leanne yeah. and Coney Hatch. And a lot of the yeah. Canadian bands, yeah. 
he he loved Anvil and he was always talking about, you know, Kick Axe and all these different bands that came up in and around the time that Coney Hatch started. And there was a way, you're right, there was a, absolutely a wave of Canadian bands that that, that, that um, magazine, that metal magazine just loved and championed. And, you know, and they were all great guys. And, and throughout the, our, our career with Coney Hatch, they always championed everything that we did. Yeah. I remember reading about you guys in there, actually. I used to love that magazine. Yeah, it was a good one for sure. Yeah. Me too. And I'm I'm a metalhead, so I would read it to hear what, you know, Motorhead and Saxon and Crocus and all That's those right. bands were up to, right? Like oh, I would yeah. so and then and then I'd be like, Oh my God, we're on the next page after Saxon. I love Saxon. I got wheels of steel. <laughs> right. And it's like, that must have been crazy. Yeah, it was. I got I I'm telling you, man, there were so many pinch me moments of, of my career where I'm like, Oh my god, are we really here? You know, like when, you know, Brent, when you've got a, a giant poster of Peter Frampton or Ted Nugent on your wall growing mm-hmm. up and then you end up being the, the special guest opening act or Edgar Winter, you know, same thing. I loved Edgar Winter and, and actually meeting those guys or being on the bill with them or Cheap Trick. I'm like, what in what mm-hmm. lifetime does this happen? Right. And yeah. even even to this day, you know, even getting to work with Alex Lifeson, it's just a, it's a big pinch me moment. And. I think I'm pretty blessed, man. I've got, I definitely have a lot to be thankful for. You know, there's been some amazing, lots of ups and downs in my career, but some, some stuff that's just kind of storybook when you think about it. Well, you do, but you also have a great attitude, Andy, and I've, I've always appreciated that. You know, it's not, that's not always the case. So good on you. Yeah. Thanks for saying that, dude. Yeah, I know. There, if you start believing in your bullshit, man, before you know it, <laughs> you start alienating a lot of people. Um, I'm happy to to be making music after all these years. It's I, I just think it's such a nice uh, it's such a nice bit been a great ride so far, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Well, we're happy you're doing it too, brother. Thank you, man. So I've got your tunes here. Let's get into these because these are good, man. I saw this list and I actually sent it back to your PR guy and with a bunch of exclamation marks because I was like, this is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we did like on round one, we did some tunes that make your skin crawl and and i know i i said to you at that time man i wish i wish i could have 10 can you give me 10 here yeah so uh, you know when when you asked me to do it again i thought okay i'm gonna stretch a little bit here so you know hit me with your questions and i'll tell you i don't have the list in front of me but certainly if you if you remind me i'll tell you the reasons why they make my skin crawl in a good way (laughs) all right well all right well here we go massive attack first one angel okay well you know first of all that's a very apropos song to be talking about with with envy of none yes because because it's it's that that exploration into ambient and you can call it what you want ambient trip hop but the production on that always i always really really loved it because you know there's a lot of heavy guitars on that song Mm Um, and they're all layered in in the background, but the atmospheric vocals, um, you know, that that whole record, that mezzanine record, I, I, I ended up going to see Massive Attack maybe about a year and a half ago when they came to Toronto oh, celebrating wow. the 40th anniversary of that record. Mm-hmm. But I, I think, Brent, not only that song and just how beautiful and haunting the vocals are resonated with me, but just the production on that record and the soundscaping is something that I think was an inspiration, certainly for me, with the Envy and None stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, a, a lot of people, when they think about Coney Hatch or me or or my knucklehead rock, you know, four on the floor <laughs> stuff, you, 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 
you don't think that that's the same guy that's going to be listening to Massive Attack or, you know, Pat Metheny or Weather Report or stuff like that. But mm-hmm. it's, I'm, I love all that kind of stuff. I'm a music fan at heart, like I told you, you know. Well, you know what? The thing about Massive Attack that I've always kind of considered is that they attract a wide birth of fans just because, you know, like trip hop, there's elements of rave, there's elements of industrial, there's elements like even of metal and, and soul. And the, the production is super crisp all the time. It's atmospheric, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and and if you do your homework on that record, it was certainly well received in Europe, but in, in Canada and the US, it took a while to catch on, but that thing hmm. exploded in Europe. And you know, 40 years later, I think, you know, I, I could be wrong on this, but that's that 40th anniversary tour that they just did to celebrate that the mezzanine record was they, they sold out every single show. Oh, and, uh, and boy, boy, could they reproduce it live too? Like they did a really great job. They must have had about three or four keyboard players on, on stage at once and a couple of different vocalists. But there's so many beautiful moments on that record. Uh, I, I picked Angel just because it's the opening track and just such a, a haunting vocal on that track. Yeah, that's great. Now, here's a song, man. Next, you have Scorpions. He's a woman, she's a man. Well done. <laughs> so great. Um, and, and quite a juxtaposition from going from Massive Attack to Scorpions, yeah. right? Oh, but yeah. um, I, I'm going to tell you that, you know, Scorpions and UFO, um, for sure, I can remember, honestly, writing a letter to the Scorpions fan club, and they wrote me a letter back with a no. postcard with Rudolf Schenker and all those guys. But that, the, you know, the attitude on that song and the guitar playing before I, I started to get into Michael Schenker, I, I think I really discovered Scorpions when I realized that Rudolph was Michael Schenker's brother because yeah. I loved UFO so much, right? Yeah. So then I, I started to go down the rabbit hole with, with the Scorpions, but with Yuli John Roth's guitar playing and oh, anybody yeah. that's a guitar player out there, you know, he, like, there's a lot of Hendrix vibe in what he does, but... Huge. Um, you know, the, the subject matter of that song, when you think about what's happening now in the world with trans, the transgender community and just uh, that whole, um, is it is it a guy? Is it a girl? Like that, you think about when that song was released and yeah. how ahead of, it, ahead of its time it was, right? But I think in general, the reason that I absolutely love that song and crank it up in my car every time I can is uh, just, just the, the vibe and, and the metal a crushing vibe of that song you know it's just oh, got yeah. such a great vibe to it yeah this is i think taken by force around like 77 78 yes. yeah yeah and a- absolutely uh, and, the, and the scorpions live album i think was the one that kind of cemented it for me and he's yeah. a woman she's a man is on that one as well yeah tokyo tapes yeah this, yeah uh, yeah you're right this predates uh blackout which was a good like heavy record yes yes and 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 that might have been one. Uh, well, it was certainly one of the, the last records that um, Yuli John Roth was on before he was replaced by Matthias Yabs. And mm-hmm. um, you know his guitar. I went to see Yuli John Roth uh, when he came to Toronto recently, and, oh, cool. and the guy's the guy's guitar playing is just off the map. You know, and a lot of people say that he's you know copped Hendrix too much, but my God, anybody that doesn't know about Yuli John Roth, you know, you think about. There's a song called Sales of Sharon. Yeah. And oh my God. I like just like this, you know, Brent, what is that? Maybe like a two minute guitar intro before any vocal yeah. comes yeah. in. It's just like, uh, I remember playing it for Ian Thornley when I was working with Ian and said, have you ever heard this guy? And he was like, who the hell is this band? And, <laughs> 
And he was he was just gobsmacked when he heard the guitar and you know. So um, anybody that hasn't heard those records, you should go back and listen to them. Oh yes, highly highly recommend. Absolutely. Agreed. Yeah, all those old Scorpions records are fantastic. Uh, James Gang is next. Stop live nineteen seventy one. Yes. Okay. So let me. Well, first of all, I'm just a diehard Joe Walsh fan. Anything yeah. that Joe, anything that Joe Walsh has ever done, I I, I buy it. I, I loved his solo records. I loved you know the smoker you get, the player you drink, and Barnstorm. And um, I think that he breathed some new life in the Eagles when he joined the Eagles. It mm-hmm. gave them a little bit of grit on it. But the, my love for James Gang kind of goes back to my early formative years when I was um, really trying to. I, I I don't know how to read music. I, I never have. I, I certainly know the fretboard and I know the notes that I'm playing on it, but I, I don't have any grasp of any kind of theory or I had a few lessons when I was growing up, but, you know, I was told to pay attention to a certain amount of bass players and James Gang was one of them. And, and mm. my sister's boyfriend turned me on to James Gang. And when I bought that live, James Gang live at Carnegie Hall, that's going back to 1971. Yeah. And I'm a bit of a closet guitar player, but you know the the guitar playing on that is just ferocious. There's like echoplex, and mm-hmm. it's Joe. It, I would say it's Joe Walsh at his meanest. If you if you love Joe Walsh and you want to hear him really pushing the envelope, you should listen to that record because the soloing and and the echo and the, and and his use of just like the Leslie cabinets and and. Uh, his his guitar playing is off the map, but the bass playing on it is is spectacular, and it's a it's a loud and proud three piece. So I would spend a lot of nights with my headphones on, learning those bass lines. And um, that song called "Stop" is the opening track on the record, mm-hmm. which I don't think is written by the James Gang, but it's a it's an old blues competition uh, or composition. And um, I just fell in love with that record, and I continue to listen to it to this day. It's one of it's one of my favorites. It's a desert island record for me, for sure. Nice, nice. Little known, so that's cool. I, I like that you had this in your in your list. I, I like this record too. The Sweet Wah solo on this tune too, right? Just so great. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And and like I said, like I kind of gra- I started playing bass because I was given a bass guitar for my 16th birthday by my sister's boyfriend, but. Truth be told, I always wanted to play guitar. I'm, I'm a closet guitar player, and I, I own guitars now, and I can I can hack my way around it. But my love of music it stems from guitar heroes like Joe Walsh and Rick Derringer and yeah. and um, and Johnny Winter and Michael Schenker and and you know those those for me were my heroes, my early heroes, Peter Frampton, and I just ended up being a bass player. So I'm I I think I'm a closet guitar player to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's a great point. I mean, if you, um, you go back, you know, you're talking about Roth earlier, but like go back to that period of this, the seventies, you know, there are so many great players in there that are, that are overlooked often. You got to do a little yeah. digging, but there's some good stuff in there. I, I agree. You know, and I, and, and I know I'm going off track here, but you know, with like a band like the suite, everybody knows them for ballroom blitz and mm-hmm. action, action and stuff like that. But any any drummers out there? If you want to listen to the, the the closest to John Bonham, then go back and listen to albums like Give Give Us uh, Give Us a Wink. I think was the name of the record. But um, the drummer for the Suite is just unbelievable. 
and, and the musicianship and some of the guitar work, like you said, of these bands in the 70s, yeah. a lot of them very, very overlooked, you know? Yeah. It's funny. You just reminded me of, um, you know, I was thinking about uh, Leonard Skinner because, you know, I was yeah. watching this documentary the other night and people said, well, you know, you've heard Freebird, you've heard Sweet Home Alabama. A lot of people just think that that's a Skinner. But when you listen, you go through those old records and I love doing this with bands like Grand Funk Railroad, you know, oh, yeah. go yeah. through and listen to their early stuff, you know, right around the second, third record, like with Skinner, nothing fancy. I don't know if you know that record, but there's a song. I on do. There. do. you know, I, do you know on the, There you go. Like on big the hunt. Fan. Yeah. Right? Yeah great song but nobody would ever know it i almost wanted to put give me back my bullets on on, <laughs> on my uh, on my list but you know yeah you, you've got me going now because you know you talk about allman brothers and leonard skinnard and 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 a lot of those were very guitar driven you got yeah. three guitar players in the band and you know somebody asked me you know if you andy if you died and came back which which band would you like to play bass in? and it's a toss-up between skinnard and cheap trick for me <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> that's cool just because i think I, I could pull off the skinner with a with a cowboy hat and just be a badass with, oh. with and uh, maybe just like a jean vest with no with no shirt on oh I could yeah pull that off back in the day i love skinner me too uh we're gonna jump forward here with stone temple pilots next and sex type thing yeah well, you know, it, it's interesting as, as I tell you about the ride coming from sort of Coney Hatch and, and maybe my growth as a musician as I sort of went, like, I'm not going to say I, I, I got tired of the sort of formula Coney Hatch stuff, but when the alternative bands started to come out, like Stone Temple Pilots or Pearl Jam or Nirvana, um, mm. you know, like that, that spelled the depth of a lot of us that were in the hair metal scene or, or the hard rock scene. But um, instead of being afraid of it, I actually embraced it. I mean, I love bands like King's X and, um, and Stone Temple Pilots for me were the attitude and Scott Weiland's vocals and, and that riff, mm-hmm. that sex, that sex type thing riff is relentless and, when I, I was lucky enough to see Stone Temple Pilots play in Toronto, I think at a place called um, The Warehouse, mm-hmm. and just just watching Scott Weiland sing that song, and he had his megaphone, and it, by far one of one of the finest rock frontmen in the world, in my opinion, um, and just like that, and and that riff, and when it came out, it just jumped out of the speakers, and and. Uh, there's a lot of like I own a lot of STP records and, and I think they're they're a really really great band that there's not a lot of bands from the 90s that stood the test of time in my humble opinion but I think STP is one of them that did. Mm-hmm. I agree. This song is a ripper. You know. Yeah. I, I've always loved it. I used to play in a band. We used to play this, and it was just like one of the the highlights of of rehearsal. Um, oh yeah, it's not, it, there's nothing subtle about that one. It just no. like falls to the wall. <laughs> no. It's like it's like a punch in the face, isn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. But you know, yeah. and if you think about this, to your point, a lot of like Alice in Chains was was this way too, right? They kind of yep. cut their teeth during you know the 80s and the the metal era the songs are just kind of slightly reworked with zero image right um yeah you, know, you listen to a song like man in the box or sex type thing like you can see that there is a, a connection to what came before it I, I totally agree and and it's funny that you brought fashion into it because if anything you know you look at pearl jam or and some of these bands that the grunge bands that were they, there was no eye makeup. There was no um, hairspray. There was nothing. It was almost like an anti 
glam movement that it was sort of like the man in the street you know you mm-hmm. you can wear you can wear a plaid shirt and, but you're right that they're the hard rock roots of Alice in Change or Stone Temple Pilots or Pearl Jam or the list goes on and on they're there mm-hmm. um and I think it was just gift wrapped with some different some different clothing on it to be honest with you you know oh yeah absolutely yeah and the, and the production was a lot more raw. Like, you know, I think they got away from the big reverbs and the big layered harmonies and, <laughs> and, and the Def Leppard, you know, wall of sound stuff. And it became a little bit more real, a little bit more like a garage band or, or a, like maybe like the next generation of the punk movement, but not, but not as bloated, you know? Yeah, it, bloated is a great word to describe that. Because if you think of some of the bands that were around, you know, in 1991, 1992... It was almost like that movement kind of, you know, got crushed under its own bloat. You know, it just got a bit too ridiculous. And that's where this came from. It just, the pendulum swung way the other way, I think. Well, I I think you're right. And I read some interesting things where I think uh, it was maybe Tommy Lee. It was sparring with um, maybe somebody from Pearl Jam or something, talking about how boring the grunge movement was. Nikki Six, yeah. Oh, Nikki Six, yeah, like how bored they looked, right? And I guess, you know, there was that anti, like that anti-metal movement that you were talking about. And, um, I had to live through it, man, because, you know, mm-hmm. I had my, I had my, uh, my, I guess my No Tattoos band and then, yeah. you know, Soho, the Soho 69 thing. And I, I can remember the moment because we were playing in Montreal and we had some, uh, some really nice girls that we knew in Montreal and they took us out that night mm-hmm. to a club called the, um, the electric, I think it was called the, the English translation was the electric ass, you know, okay. and it was a club, it was a club that played really cutting edge new music. And mm. that night they were cranking smells like teen spirit and mm. I fell in love with it. But at the same time, I thought, Oh my God, current, you better get on your horse, man. Cause, yeah. <laughs> cause the, the, the world's a change in here. And I don't think, uh, I don't think no tattoos is going to cut it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That record was still cutting it in my dorm room. I'll tell you that. Nichols and Dom's got a lot of airplay, my friend. <laughs> Thank you for saying that, Bob. But you know what I mean, right? Like, Oh, yeah. M- music is constantly changing, and I like that challenge. I like, I like trying to reinvent what the ride's all about. Yeah. Um, like you said, like Envy of None is not Coney Hatch. It certainly isn't, and it's been, it's been fun to be able to stretch, you know, and um, so the, 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 the grunge and the, and the alternative bands, I loved it. I embraced all of it, man. There was a ton of great bands. King's X for sure were on the top of the list for me too. I, I don't know a lot about that band, but I did like what I heard. Well, you know, um, Doug, Doug Pinnock, the lead vocalist, um, and left-handed black bassist, and, and they were a Christian band, but you would never know it. But, mm-hmm. um, one of the most soulful singers in in the music industry, I think, and anybody that you know, Dog Man. If I was to, if you said Andy, which record should I listen to? If you, you know, go find a copy of Dog Man per, um, with King's X, and, and and I guarantee you, you'll become an instant fan. Mm, okay, there you go, done. Homework for me. Your last tune, my friend, Jeff Beck, because we've ended as lovers, blow by blow. Yeah. I think, yeah. Well, you know, when you sort of laid out my homework as, as songs that make your skin crawl there, to this day, there's still a lot of songs that give me goosebumps, you mm-hmm. know, and I'll, I'll look at, I'll look at my arm and I can see the hair standing up on it. You know, mm-hmm. there's just that, there's just that connection that just, you're like, oh my God, I love this. Right. And, and 
that Jeff Beck record and it, that, that his like I I certainly got into what I'd call more um, maybe progressive um, I don't know you know like the the Jeff Becks and the Stanley Clarks and Pat Metheny and Weather Report and and a lot of it was based on me wanting to to learn what Jaco Pastorius, the bass player, was doing, or Stanley Clark or everything. But that fusion rock, I've always loved Jeff Beck. I, I loved Beck Bogart in the piece. And um, I had some Jeff Beck group albums with, with that um, uh, Rod Stewart was the lead vocalist on. Yeah. But, you know, again, there's the closet guitar hero coming out where, <laughs> where I, I, I bought everything that Jeff Beck did. But the, just the soloing and, and the expression and how he made his guitar talk um, there's there's no vocals on that entire record, and that because we've ended as lovers was always such a sweet melancholy moment. It's it, there's nothing aggressive about it, but but it just I had I, I still had goosebumps when I listened to that track, Brent. I, I absolutely love Jeff Beck. I've seen him a million times. I, I, my favorite lineup was when Terry Bozio was in the band, mm-hmm. yep. Frank Zappa and Missing Persons. So, and and I actually a thrill of a lifetime was when I got to meet Jeff in person oh, wow. and um uh, in montreal and got my photo taken with him and got him to, he gave me a signed poster of when he was inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame which is up in my studio so jeff beck is, has been another uh, you know big big influence and on just the fanboy in me i i don't think it really came out in in the music but i like if that guy uh, i i would go i'd I, do road trips to see him if I could, you know, um, it's a, it's one of those bands. Dude, you have such a great attitude. I love it. Thank, well, thanks buddy. It all, it, it, we're, we're a kindred spirit because it is, it's the love of music that is the start of everything for me. That's the, that's the beginning of the ride. You're absolutely right. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today, Andy. I really appreciate it, man. Brent, it, it, it's always it's always a, a pleasure to be on with you. It's kind of like talking to an old an old friend over a couple of beers, except I've got a glass of wine going, and um, <laughs> and, and uh, it's actually a really nice. You know, it's my dad's birthday today. Uh, God oh, nice. rest his soul. So it's a nice way to to talk to a friend and talk about great music and um, and listen as, as the ride continues with Envy and None. If you want to do a part three down the line, and we'll go deeper into my record collection, I'm always there for you, brother. Yes, please. Let's definitely do that. I would love that. You're on. That sounds great, Brent. All Cheers, right. buddy. I appreciate it, man. Cheers, Andy. Take good care. Thank you very much, and have a great evening, my friend. You too, Brent. Take care, buddy, and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye bye. Cheers, pal. Bye. All right. This has been No Sleep Till Sunbury with Brent Jensen and my very very special guest, Mr. Andy Curran. Until next time, folks, take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide. <laughs>